0: This episode of the e-commerce playbook is brought to you by Freshworks. You may know them for their support software, Freshdesk, used by over 50,000 businesses, but now they've taken all of their industry knowledge to create FreshMarketer, the only multi-channel conversational CRM. All conversations from marketing to support in one place that integrates directly with your Shopify store. You can learn more at freshmarketer.com or with the link in the show notes.
1: Hello and welcome to the eCommerce Playbook Podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode. And I'm gonna get out in front of this right now for what is my last episode as host of the eCommerce Playbook Podcast. Not the last episode of the eCommerce Playbook Podcast, but my last episode as host. I'm gonna talk to you all about it right now. This is attempt number two at recording the intro, which is not surprising to at least one of the people who is on this show, because I am joined by Richard Gafford and Taylor Holliday. Taylor, how you doing? Awesome, Andrew. Awesome. <laughs> okay, great. That was the best you've ever done on the intro. And Thank Richard, you. I don't think the people
2: have met you before on this show, have they? They've not. First off, I'll say I'm doing fantastic and I'm really glad to be here.
1: All right, here we are. We're on this podcast together. It is kind of amazing, Richard, that you've never been on before. Sorry about that. Never extended the invite. That's the reason you've never been <laughs> on. Right. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Never got a chance. Um So we'll just kind of get to this early on here. So first of all, let me just kind of introduce Taylor, you know, the CEO of Common Thread Collective. So whatever, (laughs) you know, Taylor. (laughs) Taylor is the CEO of Common Thread Collective, has been on a lot of times with this. And he's going to talk a lot more about his part of this in a little bit. But Richard Gaffin is the senior copywriter at Common Thread Collective. And really what that makes him is sort of the key storytelling Leader, about what's happening at CTC, what's happening in the marketplace of e commerce, a lot of the great content that has come from CTC. And some ways you may have associated with Aaron Orndorff in the past. Actually, that was a lot of it was a team effort as well with Richard. He's an awesome marketer and thinker in the e commerce space and has been at CTC for how long, Richard? Five and a half years? Yeah, a long time. And Richard and I are longtime friends as well. So there's a lot of deep relationships on this episode of the show. Richard is going to jump in in a second here. But let me just kind of follow up on what I said in the intro there. This is the last episode of the e-commerce Playbook podcast that I am going to be hosting. And we are going to take the show in a somewhat of a different direction. I bet there will be a day where you guys, maybe if you're so kind, would invite me back on. So I'm not gonna say it's my last episode ever. But Richard will be hosting the show moving forward along with Taylor in some ways. So Richard, let me just kind of pass it to you. What is the future of the e-commerce playbook podcast? In so many words, and then I just want to kind of get into why this happened and what's happening. So tell us, Richard.
2: Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I think some of the subject matter is going to stay the same, but I think the idea is we want to move towards a format where really I'm asking Taylor questions and Taylor is answering them. I think the listeners you know Taylor is sort of a fountain of wisdom, uh, a person who's ahead of the curve when it comes to his understanding of what's going on in the world of e-com. And so part of what I'm doing is just sort of playing host to him. I'll be interviewing Taylor every week. We were talking earlier about it sort of being like, pardon the interruption style, where we're kind of running down a series of topics. And Taylor and I are talking through them, but it'll mostly be Taylor. But it's just like yelling at each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's that's right. Exactly. Basically, a friendly competition the entire time. But in terms of what it actually looks like, as far as like segments or whatever goes, we're still trying to iron that out. But I think the most important distinction is that we're going to be talking about sort of big picture strategic currents, the way the sort of winds are blowing in the world of e and how they directly apply to people who are currently running e businesses. Taylor, I don't know if you want to jump in at anything there.
3: Actually, this is something we haven't talked a lot about, but the e-commerce playbook was a CDC production. So Richard and Aaron and the team, they were responsible for editing and producing and distributing it. And we originally launched it because one of the value propositions we had for CTC was that we were operators first. Before we ran an agency, we ran brands. And then while we were running an agency, we were continuing to run and operate in brands. And so we wanted to have a point of view in the market that was a very tactical, this is what we're doing day in and day out with our own brands. Because both CTC and 4x400 are owned by a parent company, Dream Labs. And so there's a lot of shared ethos and equity across that group. And so they served each other in that way. And now the reality is, and this is a little teaser for, I think, what we're going to talk about a lot in our first episode post-Andrew, but we are an LOI to sell our last brand in 4x400, and we're shutting that down. And so our lived day-in-and-day reality of being tactical executors is, for this moment, ceasing. And so instead, what we now have in place of that, when we started it, you know, CDC was a lot smaller than it is now and had a sort of a narrower purview. But now what we have to offer is to think less about a playbook that includes specific tactical execution, maybe the way that Andrew brought it, and more in the way that we're going to present. The metaphor I like to use is like, at CDC, we think more in terms of like offensive methodology. So think of it as like the West Coast offense or the spread offense versus a specific play that will exist. And so what we're able to give you is, we can contextualize and synthesize a large set of information at any moment and develop shared principles that lead to success across lots of the businesses that we see. And so I think that's what I'll be able to uniquely offer as an alternative maybe to the specificity of Andrew's communication. And he would bounce around you know, philosophically and specifically tactically in various ways. And I think we will too. But what I think we really have a unique vantage point into is at any given moment across our portfolio of customers what is happening and what are the shared attributes of things that are working and things that aren't what are the outliers of things that are working and why are they effective and how can we provide insight into all of you and your journeys of how we can use that information to help benefit your growth story
1: yeah you know and i'll just say here like this is something that you're just way better at than i am taylor i think like in terms of thinking big picture and kind of outside of the sort of sandbox like i always think of myself in fact, I've often thought that I may be better serve as a number two in an organization than number one, because I think I'm a better editor than I am true creator. And so, like, you know, if you sort of think about those two things, I think you have particular vision for like the next big thing. You and I were just talking the other day about like it was like you thinking about a big ideas, and I was kind of like, well, what if you thought a little smaller, you know? And that was essentially that. And I would say, like, in our relationship for a long time, there's that back and forth a lot, which is sort of like. A push and pull on bigger picture and smaller picture. And it's not that we always do exactly that and we never could think the other way or whatever. But just like I think there's a sort of an instinct difference there in terms of how we think about these things and even a vantage point difference. I've tended to be closer to the work in the last couple of years than you, just in being in 4 100 and some of those things. And you've been leading an agency where you're seeing a whole bunch of brands all at once, way more than even I saw for f 100 And so those kind of vantage points, I think, make a lot of sense that like the one of them would be more instinctual for me and the other for you.
3: The last thing is like a perfect example of this is like tomorrow I have an all day offsite with some of our key leaders to discuss Q4 strategy for e-commerce brands. Okay. And the reality is when I think about that problem, my view of it is what is the shared story across a lot of things that is happening in the market across channels in a way that provides a framework for people to then build specific solutions. Never in that meeting tomorrow will we discuss a specific individual solution for a business. But what we will build, if you think about it, like we have QBRs, quarterly business reviews. And think of it as like, I build the first six slides of the deck that set the context on which the specific strategy is going to be deployed. And I think we're moving from Andrew, who as a tactical strategist and growth leader would build the back, 40 pages of this is what we're going to do for your specific yeah, business. That's right. Yeah. And I'm going to set the context. And I think that's what I can provide in a really yeah. unique way.
2: Speaking of the differences, this is a good transition into a question I wanted to ask, which is, Andrew, why are you leaving us? Yeah. What's going on?
3: Well, it's because
1: Taylor and I we're playing nice right now, but we have a blood feud. I mean, Richard, obviously, you're here before the call started. You could feel the tension on the call mm. between the two of us. no. For me, I've considered a lot of stuff since I left for 100, started consulting. And honestly, the initial idea of consulting was just that it was non committal. Well, I don't really know what thing I want to go into next and devote that energy to after being a CEO for a while. I knew that I was pretty tired and just like wanting to make sure that the next thing was going to be something I could really do a great job at and feel like I'd commit to. And so I consulted in part because a couple of opportunities fell into my lap. People said, here, we could do this, it'll be kind of month to month. And that's what I'll do. And I'll figure out where I actually want to put my chips in on the longer term. And so I considered a lot of different things in that time, but it's just really worked out great for me overall. And, you know, there's a, been a learning curve. It's times scheduling too much work, and times scheduling too little, etc. But that's just how it goes when you do something new. So in the midst of that, I was sort of sorting through what I wanted to do next. And that's ended up being a really good pathway for me. And I've kind of got decided like, I think I'm going to go try to keep building that thing for myself. And what that thing is, I'm still shaping a little bit. But I have increasing clarity about what I think I want it to be at least today.
3: How honest am I allowed to be? 100%
1: honest. I certainly have nothing to hide here. I think that continues to be a hallmark.
3: We can always cut out whatever you do. Andrew Andrew can make too much money. And this is a grand dilemma with consulting and having his skill set, right? Is that there's two sort of contrasting things here. One is that CTC became an organization of 150 people when Andrew left. And so the job of high-level executive at an organization like that is a fundamentally different job than the ones he's been doing in a way that is very different, right? It's people management and organizational system thinking and very different. Now, I still think Andrew could be effective at that job, but there's also this very practical problem of like, okay, what is the potential value creation of any role inside of a corporate entity where the equity is already allocated to some extent and can't be easily redistributed you know, in super simple fashion. And you've got somebody with a very in-demand skill in the market that's built a reputation deservedly and has that opportunity. And so you run into these sort of like opportunities where we look at each other, we have a deep appreciation for each other. And I think we went through this process about as well as I've experienced with any friend or coworker in terms of being honest and clear with each other and communicative with each other and leave going like, yeah, man, I think it's the right decision for both of us. And we're going to continue to be fans and support each other as we go. And let's send you off with a nice podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we talked really explicitly about potential roles for me back at CTC once I had kind of done some consulting. You know, And I actually started CTC was one of my first consulting clients. Immediately, it was like, okay, I can do some contract work for CTC, work with a couple of clients, and maybe some help in the system for the short term, keep doing the podcast, all that kind of stuff. And then that was a bridge. Initially, the term on that was three months. And then it was month to month after that. So it was just sort of like, exactly like I said, right, just kind of figure out what the next thing is. And then ultimately just sort of talked about whether or not it was the best thing next for me was to come into CTC. And when Taylor and I finally got down to the conversation of whether or not that was going to be something that I would pursue seriously, it was actually one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life because I feel so much appreciation and loyalty to the organization of CTC. And I'm also a true believer in it. I hear all the stories, or not all of them, but I hear plenty of the stories of how CTC doesn't work out for some people. And it's true, right? For some clients, CTC doesn't work out. And for all kinds of reasons, that's the case. Or sometimes the service doesn't measure up. But like, I know many of the people in CTC still. And I know the quality of the work and I know how much they care about the work and all those things. So I feel like 100% great about backing it as an organization as a company you know the integrity of the company in that respect is there and the integrity of you taylor as a leader on top of all that we have a really good friendship at this point and a partnership so in all those ways it was like really 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 hard for me and it's funny like it doesn't feel super risky per se right now but it does feel like uncharted for me in a way of like i often feel like i function better as a number 2 and so kind of doing my own thing i'm not the entrepreneurs entrepreneur i never was the guy who was like chasing someone down in an airport, trying to sell a product at the last minute. You know, like you hear wild entrepreneur stories like that in the early stages. I just have never... I'm not that guy, really. And I've never been that guy. So this has been a little bit of a journey for me. And I think I told you afterwards, after we had that conversation, where it was like, okay, I'm not going to come back in a CTC I haven't broken up with anybody for a long time. My wife and I have been my wife and I have been married for thirteen years, and so it's been a little while since so there's been a breakup. And I was like, oh, I forgot kind of what that felt like. That was the most that it felt like of anything. It was like it had been CTC had been such a part of everything I've done and working with you for the last eight years. You know,
3: yeah. And one of the things, like for me, it's funny. I feel like I get broken up with a lot, but what it is is CTC has this long, <laughs> of being a very entrepreneurial place where the kinds of people that are attracted to it for the high growth, the learning, the potential, the energy also are tend to be people with their own grand ambitions and potential and skill. I've listened to Dayport and I talk a lot about Barstool and the platform they've created to host talent on the content side and what that turns into in terms of Alex Cooper going off to become one of the biggest podcasters in the world, or, you know, Jared Karabas signing with DraftKings for a number they can't afford anymore, like after they sort of build this place to foster talent. And if you think about CDC's history, whether it's Nick Shackelford or Savannah Sanchez or you, or, you know, like all these different people, the guys at Kinship, TL and Cody, like that have come through and been a part of this place, feel a connection to this place, learned a lot in this place. But ultimately their story was to go on and do their thing. And I've learned, I used to have a very deep sense of betrayal or that like somehow they were choosing not me. And it was like, that has to do with my own sort of personal abandonment issues and whatnot. But I've learned instead to like celebrate the shared life that we have and to understand that was my story. That was my journey. I left and went to do the thing. And so how could I ever stand in the way of anybody else doing it? And instead, like I now see it as like a tree that I'm really proud of that I can sort of look out and celebrate.
2: So, breaking up, but remaining friends is... Kind of idea, right? yeah. Somebody once told me they didn't want to go out with me after a date one time
1: when I was in college. And uh-huh. she's like, yeah, but I really want to be friends. And I was just like, I'm not on the market for friends.
2: I have enough friends. <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. Good luck. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, hang out and watch the game together or something. Now,
1: yeah, now I still am in the market for friends. So, that's fine.
2: Cool. Well, so, I guess like maybe to sum it up, like what you can expect from us is a conversation about frameworks about large-scale strategic thinking. Some stuff, we're probably going to ping-pong between that and discussing interesting things that are happening in the D2C space and what they mean for you. So it's going to be fun. I can't wait to do mailbag questions. That is my favorite podcast segment out of all podcasts. So I think we're going to be doing some of that as well. So guys, ready your fingers and uh, type us some questions. So that's what we're going to be doing. Andrew... Tell us a little bit more about what you're going to be doing. Plug your next thing.
1: I'll just answer that quickly. The Andrew Ferris podcast exists now. You can go and sign up for it. I think the first two episodes should be live. One of them is actually me doing more detail about what I'm building. And so if you want to hear about that, I'm trying to kind of maintain exactly what I've done on this show, which is be as honest as possible about sort of what kind of thing I'm trying to do. The other one is that Patrick could do who you may know, sold supply razor company. And so I've got an interview with Patrick as well about that. I think it's the first place he's talked about that. So go check those two episodes out. And then that show will be very similar to this show where I'll talk and occasionally interview people. But I'll probably do a lot of the solo podcaster stuff still. So the Interfairs podcast exists now. You can go sign up for it. And I also have ajfgrowth.com if you want to talk to me about other stuff. So ajfgrowth.com and there should be an email capture there for you to go enter your email and reach out to me.
0: We talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of using paid channels for e-commerce growth, but we don't talk much about the power of an organic social strategy. That's why we're excited to share the D2C Bootcamp session from Fresh Marketer, how D2C brands are crushing it on social media. In this on-demand panel discussion, the best in the business will give you a blueprint for creating a social presence that converts. Less guessing what you should do on social and more executing a data-backed strategy. You can register for this free D2C panel with the link in the show notes and learn more at freshmarketer.com.
1: So my question is this, Taylor. It's a nice narrative that you just said, which is that like you're sending people out into the world. I think people are attracted to you and towards the kind of knowledge you have. It's always been kind of weird to me that I was the host of the podcast and not you, actually, because you're like the most compelling and interesting e-commerce thinker I know. But do you think that that's totally true? That essentially, there's a kind of entrepreneurship that sort of can't be contained in the company that these people represent? Or is there something you need to do better about like retaining that level of talent? Do you
3: know what I'm saying? I think it's a totally fair question. To retain is an interesting word. Like it's sort of inherent in the in you two as language people. There's almost a sense by which something is being contained or re- restrained in some way from what it is. And so I don't I even think the language of retain is an odd word. What it really actually has to be is mutually beneficial. Okay. That's right. And so what has to occur for something to be mutually beneficial is people have to be conscious of the benefit that they desire. And so one of the things that I've learned is that the self-awareness of both sides actually plays into this. And one of the things that happens in young people, I'll give you an example. I'll be very specific. I was having a conversation with a 21-year-old inside of my company today that is extremely talented, okay? That came to CTC with basically very little experience and feels a deep sense of appreciation and loyalty for his job today and what he's learned. And for me, we have a really close relationship and he set up a call with me and he said, I went out and I took interviews because I wanted to learn what it was like. He said, candidly, like, this is my first job. you are It's like my first girlfriend. Like, I don't know what I don't know. My dad tells me all the time how special this place is and I shouldn't leave, but I don't know. And so I went and he goes, here's what I learned. And I'm just going to be honest with you, Taylor, because I care about you. He's like, I got two offers to be heads of growth. He's 21 years old, director of growth level positions, two of them at 30 to 40% higher salary than we're being offered today. And so he goes, I learned that I could make a lot more money somewhere else. That's a thing I learned. He goes, I learned that I don't think that I would learn as much in those jobs and the people weren't as compelling and I don't believe in what they're doing as much. And then I don't know if I'm ready to be the thing that I need to be yet there. And so he was like talking to this and he did it as like a, can I make more money? Like, am I more valuable than whatever, which is a thing to consider. And so I went through and I broke down like a bunch of the things that I think we have and they have. and how he should consider money and what it actually entails. And we talked through it in a way that I think it would be harder for anybody to say they have a closer relationship with an employee and are in those kinds of conversations with them than I am with a number of people in a way that like I really do feel confident in. But there also is the potential that he could deliver more value for an organization than he could for me, which is to say that there are places where the value creation is warrants a higher compensation such that the opportunity is greater for him somewhere else. And I don't know that that's necessarily a failure of mine. I have to trade on a lot of other things besides just money in order to maintain that person. And at some point, it's a cost-benefit analysis that people at different stages test differently.
1: So I I'm, think that's right. I think the value creation difference is helpful. And I think something you said that's really interesting is that the person actually has to know what they want and what they care about. And that's actually not true in a lot of cases, in which case they just default to money. That's and right. it's funny because when you and I were talking, I started to play out the finances of like what the different possibilities were. And eventually I kind of scrubbed that exercise because what I realized, and this is something I did learn, is that I was going to make enough money in either case. Uh, and I, I'm not motivated by making huge, crazy amounts of money. Like I want to make money, but I'm not looking for the highest possible dollar upside. I know that about myself. And then also, I did also know, and what ultimately decided made my decision for me was that. I determined that the kind of work that was going to be required in the kinds of level of position that I would exist in at CTC, that that kind of work was not work I really wanted to do that much. And that if I was saying yes, I would mostly be saying it out of loyalty. And that actually wouldn't serve either of us very well. Because right. you have to actually kind of love the work at that level. It's too demanding. But I actually think I was able to assess all those things, partly because of experience. Like I just have now learned enough about different jobs in this market. I've been in an agency. I've been at an aggregator. I've been ahead of growth. I've been at 400, five hundred CEO. I've been a media buyer. I've been kind of everything in between. And so like that has now given me enough reps. We talk about that concept a lot in terms of how it helps you with the quality of work. But it also really, I think, helps you figure out what you want and where you're going as well. And so that was ultimately the determination for me. If I was younger, I might have just tried to figure out the highest financial upside at some point. Basically, as a default, because I didn't actually know and it was like some way to make the decision. In this case, that's not what I'm doing. It's an interesting problem to solve for you in your position of like, how do you help someone figure out or locate what's actually best for them, especially since you have a vested interest in the outcome?
3: Well, and this is the thing I've actually wrestled with a lot is that I think I sometimes delude myself into altruism in ways that I should just be more (laughs) self-serving. That's totally right. Like, I think I'm doing this thing that's really in the interest of other people I should be way more selfish and trying to convince them to get what I want. This is a thing I'm wrestling with. Probably a deeper conversation, but that's also a thing I think I struggle with sometimes. In ways that I think make me not as good at my job as I should be, and is a weakness in employee retention as a pure like self-serving interest. Don't mean that as like a humble brag. I mean that as a genuine weakness.
2: I was going to ask you, Andrew. You mentioned the sort of uh, hierarchy of values, maybe that you would have had as a younger person. You would have made this decision based on money alone. And you've kind of spoken to some of them so far, or touched on them. But like, what's the thing sitting on the top of the heap that caused you to make this decision when you did
1: freedom? Ultimately, what I wanted was less obligation and less constraint. One of the things I learned at Forever 400 is that when you take people's money and when you take a position from someone, you take on an obligation. And so, like for me, like there's some things that about being in an, an agency that I don't like that I have learned. This is not a comment about agency life. There's a certain kind of client I do not want to deal with. And I don't mean that as good or bad. There's client demands that if you're an executive in an agency, you have to deal with. And they're totally reasonable. And a lot of times they're not mean necessarily. They just want what's best for their business. They're dogged about it. They're all those kind of things. There's that kind of problem solving in an agency, the sort of the human problem solving, not just the account problem solving or the business problem solving. I am incredibly grateful that I got to do a lot of in agency life because I think it made me a lot better at it. I learned a lot and grew a lot in those processes. And I think those are really good skills for life. But right now, I don't want to do that. I have two very young kids. I feel tired all the time. <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of obligation in this stage of life. I'm thinking a lot about sort of where I want my obligation to go relative to whose money I take and what I'm signing up for and wanting to make sure that I'm honest and fair about that value exchange as much as possible. So for me, that was like a big element of the decision was like, there was a kind of obligation I didn't want to take on. And at some point, I like the idea in my mind to some degree that maybe I would work a little less and not pursue the biggest outcome, although that has not happened yet. And my wife makes fun of me when I say that because she does not think that's real for me.
3: (laughs) Because I actually do really like the work. In the way that you sort of questioned, like, is my narrative about... Nothing I'm more convinced of than that this narrative is one that will collapse very quickly for you. Uh, Yeah, I know. The freedom premise, like, I think freedom and control are interesting words because you have obligation. You took money from somebody and you have an obligation to them. And you flew up to Seattle recently and you like, you went out to like you have real obligation to people. And I'm willing to bet any amount of money that you're going to build a thing that you are going to hire people and you're going to have employees who are going to build the exact thing that you're describing because I've lived that reality. And I know all the limitations of the premise, which is like, you're going to do things. It's going to be totally illogical to you to spend time doing that. You're going to go be like, there's somebody that could do this. And it would be way more effective for me to do X, Y, or Z and time leverage is the thing that you're sort of describing in this. And you're such a logical dude too. You're going to hate the premise of being...
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I have an
3: assistant right now. I watched you do it, right? I know. know. You've done all the classic, I'm not hiring people. They're just my friends, so they don't count thing. But really, you're signaling to yourself.
1: I don't think I'll never hire anybody necessarily. Right now, I'm not trying to build an agency. That's for sure. For sure right now, I'm not trying to do that. But I also know not to say too quickly to you that you're wrong. You're normally three steps ahead of me on stuff like this. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you're right. I definitely have taken on obligations still. And that's important to me. What I have done, though, is I've chosen pretty carefully who I've taken on the obligation to. And this is just one of the elements of career growth that happens. I was actually talking to somebody about this today who was like considering sort of an intro job as a copywriter somewhere. And she was like, do I have to write copy for this stupid brand that is like <laughs> selling this nonsense product You know that I don't believe in at all? And was wrestling with like, do I want to go do this? And I was like, the answer is yes, you have to do that at this stage of your career because you're pretty new at it. But one of the things that comes with time is the leverage to make these kinds of decisions about which obligation you want to take on. The answer isn't no obligation, because there's going to be obligation. And also, I don't want to just sit around all day and like watch TV or something. It's not an obligation problem. It's just, I want to choose exactly what obligation I want to take on. And if I was choosing my way into an agency, I would have less control over the obligations I could take on. Right now, I could fire a client if I didn't like them. And I wouldn't have a problem backfilling that work. And so that's the thing. And so I'm trying to be careful about that too, is like trying to make sure that I, I'm communicating to the clients. Like, I want to work with you. I want to maintain this relationship. And I'll actually say no to other work in order to keep this really good. Because the obligation that I'm choosing is important to me. So I mean, I've been public about this. I work with the Simple Modern guys, for example. This is a perfect example. Like Simple Modern is a great business and it's staffed by people I really like. I believe in as humans, I believe in as business people and all those things. And my role inside my consulting with that company is the kind of obligation I'm very willing to take on. I am definitely obligated to things for them. So I don't know. Um, You're right, though. I mean, I have an assistant working a couple hours to outsource some stuff. And I'm thinking all the time about how do I do less of the things that I don't want to do. And
2: So obligation is inevitable, but there is a volume of obligation and a quality of obligation maybe that comes with working in an agency that you can avoid by calling your own shots, basically.
1: Yes. And also, I would not trade back taking it on earlier in my career. Like, I am really glad that I took it on at different stages of my career. Richard, you and I used to work on a team together. We had some great clients that we loved and all that stuff. And then we had nightmare clients, like every agency team does. And I am thankful for both those experiences. Like, I feel like I learned so much about how to handle both of those. And like, the thing is, there's actually like outside of work, there's nightmare people in life. And so, like, learning some skills in a workplace that's supportive and encouraging and is like helping you sort through that. Yeah, I still remember, Taylor, you getting on a call with somebody at one point and just being like, after an email was sent to me in my very early days at the agency, you're just being like, what are you doing? Why are you doing And having somebody support me in that and then show me how to handle that was like really, really helpful to me to like learn how to deal with that kind of thing because not everybody's nice.
3: Yeah, I think that's a lot of the next step too because right now you see the people you work with as a choice of obligation that is about the experience. And in the other alternatives to that is that you choose that in your employees, right? And so then all of a sudden... Their choice in the endpoint becomes a different one than yours. Like they like different things, they have different attributes and people that they like, and they also have different things that they want out of the experience of managing a customer. Right. And so it just it translates the same principle in a way. The other thing that's like hard is you choose problems under a pretense that can change in terms of their business and what they need and want, and that varies over time as well. There's a few of these people out there that like talk about this idea of like. Staying small. And this is a premise I've always really, really struggled to accept as an idea. That's actually a choice. That choice even exists to you because I don't think that it does. Like, it's one thing to say you're going to be a freelancer and truly individual forever. You are accepting, under that pretense, a very fixed ceiling life, like that, just in a way that the other parts of life tend to expand and create pressure to change that. I see life in a very thermodynamic fashion that is like very expansive all the time, and to resist it is to actually die.
1: Yeah, well, and what it requires for me, I am making the choice right now. Like, I'm not pursuing all of the inquiries I've had, just to be totally honest with you. Like, and the reason that I'm able to do that right now, I actually do have a lot of internal clarity about what I want today. I don't think I'll know what I will want to do in three months. And I actually just like change. I think change is kind of fun, which this is another area. I've talked to my wife a lot on this podcast, but it's another area where she just can't believe how often I want to change things, like kind of just for kicks sometimes, just because it's interesting, you know? And so I think the only way to, kind of stay small in that respect, like to have that choice and to have it be a choice is to have absolute clarity about why you're doing it and about what your values are. And a lot of times like people just don't have that, I think, you know, for me, there's some values I have around other parts of my life that make it so that like the obligation reduction is important to me. But this is actually another thing about the idea of taking on employees and something I've thought about a lot is one of the things I would want to do before taking on real employees in a business is that would be me taking on obligation to them, right? And so like on top of their obligation to me in that scenario, it's an obligation both ways. And I wouldn't want to do that until I knew what I wanted that relationship to be. till I know like, what am I really trying to accomplish? What can I tell them about where we're going together? What can I tell them about what I'm going to provide to them besides a paycheck? I need to be ready to take on that obligation again. Having been in that chair before... I need to be really clear about like what kind of things I could say there and what I'm trying to build so that they would have the ability to then kind of opt in or opt out accordingly. And that I would also feel like they're kind of pulling on the same side of the rope. But right now, I'm not there.
2: I just don't have enough vision for the future of a thing. You know? I sometimes wonder with the whole idea of staying small purposefully, there does seem like kind of like what you were saying, Taylor. There's an inevitable, almost like physical force to it. Like expansion just happens whether you like it or not. And it seems to me that it kind of takes more energy to stay small than you would think.
3: The reality is that there is pressure on the other side that you can't ignore. Like take inflation as a premise, right? Which is just generally speaking, you don't actually stay the same if your revenue stays the same, right? Like that's not true. It moves the opposite direction. And so if you don't grow in excess of the general decrease of the value of the money you're ascribing, like you're shrinking, or take the fact that Andrew just had a second child, like he's expanding. And he's expanding the cost side of his life in a way that may not... My
1: wife had the child.
3: (laughs) Well, in terms of your bank account, it's a shared at least... Yeah, Yeah, you got it. You bought more diapers. You bought more baby clothes. There's more baby food to consume. I can tell you when my kids became eight years old, All of a sudden, they started ordering off the adult menu at restaurants, and it was like a 30% increase in every dinner bill. And I was just like, (laughs) what the hell happened? (laughs) Like, my kid just ordered baby back ribs at Outback. That was $29 instead of the $8.99 cheeseburger he bought last time. You know, like, and so there's this very expansionary, and then like their bodies are huge. My house is not. All of a sudden, when they were two, (laughs) I never noticed it. They break things constantly in this house, and suddenly the one bathroom we have for three kids which was like never even a thought when they were a one and a half as teenagers is like wholly unfathomable. There's no, their bodies would like pubescently explode all over the bathroom. Oh, together.
1: And your poor daughter with the two older yeah. brothers too.
3: So you just start going, oh, okay. I can see why my mortgage that it is now might need to be different. And so there's just this like general thesis that you can resist. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying the amount of choices required for that is like an immense. And I don't know so to your point, Andrew, you'd have to be really clear on why.
1: Yeah. And that's very me. Like I end up having strong conviction and dogmatic kind of opinions about some things, you know, and I'm yeah. always looking for them. If I don't have one, I'm always trying to develop them. You're always playing with them, Taylor. You're always like goofing around with them, you know? Totally. All right. Well, anything you guys want to preview about sort of a Bamboo Earth 4400 episode that's coming? I think people are going to want to hear that. Tell people a little more about that. And then I'll hit the outro one last time. And uh,
3: yeah. So we're under LOI right now for Bamboo Earth. And... My hope is that by the time we get ready to share, they'll be able to go into details about exactly what's happening there. And we're going to most likely be closing down 4x400 as a result. And so I'm hoping to maybe have Josh join us is a character that people don't know, but has played a really important role in a lot of these stories in ways that I think will be really interesting. And we can go into some serious depth about what we learned on the aggregator journey. We'll go into as much detail about the LOI on Bamboo Earth, and what the future of that business is, and a reflection on that and how it relates to how we see our work in CDC. So I'm hoping for that to be one of the very first ones. We're also gonna be diving in, uh, Richard here soon, to the Enterprise Scaling Guide, a thing that we published that we wanna talk about why we did it and what the value proposition of it is. We're gonna, the point is not to be salesy, but I think it frames up a really important way, I think, about managing and running e-commerce growth for businesses that I think will be really useful to a lot of people.
1: Everybody should buy that thing. It's actually unbelievable. I had no part of making it. Richard wrote most of it. I don't know, but it's incredible.
3: And one last thing I'll say about Richard, like you got, it's like, wait, who's this guy? Like Richard has been at CTC as long as anybody, like you said, five and a half years. And anytime there were courses or curriculum or things that we needed to develop to teach, it was Richard who we would pull into that. He and I led a course that we developed early on called Ad Philosophy um, that still exists that we should resurface here sometime to share. Richard, that was like how we taught creative strategy at CTC. He was essential in developing a lot of those principles that like whether anybody in the market wants to acknowledge or not, bring back ADA and Thumbstop and a lot of those things. That was Richard and I's work. And like he was absolutely in the middle (laughs) of developing those principles. And he's going to teach here too. He's not just going to lob questions up. And I'm excited.
2: As far as my title goes, professor is probably the best At least that's what people call me in Slack, so.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode and to every episode of the show that I've hosted so far. And it has been really, really fun for me. When we started this podcast, the whole notion as Taylor said in the show was that I would be sharing the 4400 journey with you. I still remember the first episode sharing the numbers in our bank account. And it seemed to resonate with people that there was some honesty about what was really happening in our business. Taylor and I came on and talked about when we sold FC Goods, we told you exactly how much we sold it for, all those things. And we've tried to really maintain as much honesty as possible along the way as part of the value, not only dishonesty, but it's about things that don't work or do work challenges or whatever, but just because there is so many twists and turns along the way in growing a thing, and it's so dynamic and it's so constantly changing the way Taylor referenced earlier. And so it has been really fun for me to be some part of your journey along the way. I would love for you to come join me on the next show as well. And I would love for you to stay listening to this show. Do not get rid of it from your feed. Listen to them talk about Bamboo Earth. It is going to be really, really good. I will be a subscriber, and you're gonna wanna hear from Taylor and you're gonna wanna hear from Richard. So thanks again. If you want to follow up on this episode, if you want to reach out, the best places to do that now would probably be to start with Taylor on Twitter. So reach out to at on Twitter. And uh, as always, a rating and review is always really appreciated as well, especially as these guys go launch to the next thing and continue to provide a ton of value. That really helps. So thanks again for listening along the way. And I will talk to you some other time.